0: Hello and welcome once again to episode 92 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri, and I'll be your host once again for this episode, and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So almost any app developer will have to think about storage one day, and this can be storage for, like, the library that your app manages or maybe individual document formats, Uh, but there are so many options to choose from. Um... I heard that recently you had a conversation with your students about this, correct?
1: The, um, okay. So like the context for this is, you know, my students are brand new to iOS development. They've been doing it for a few months and stuff in kind of a learning setting. And so they, um, probably don't know all of the, or many of the, um, storage mediums that are available. Um, but what the conversation ended ended up being was kind of going over, I'd say, two or three of like the most basic, um, or rather, I guess, common. I shouldn't say basic um, storage solutions, and saying you know what what is the best fit for them. Um, and I can't quite remember exactly what their group project was, but it was storing a relatively small amount of information, like um, an array of. Uh, some, you know, structs of like four or five properties. There wasn't much information being stored there. Um, And they were only loading it up on launch of the app. And when they wanted to sort of finish, uh, I think it was like a, quiz type thing and so they were saving a bunch of questions that they had already answered and ones that they still had to answer so they could pick up where they left off I think is more or less what it was but it wasn't you know there was no uh object relation database needing to be created or anything and so uh the conversation ended up going where they started looking into storage solutions themselves I think I think it was them that just were like, oh, I should use core data, or, yeah, I think it was core data. And so they started going on that, and they realized, you know, that what a beast core data is, especially to learn. It's not necessarily the most straightforward thing. Um, But eventually I got talking to them, and I was like, well, honestly, for what you're doing, uh, one, the information isn't, uh, you know, uh, sensitive in any way, so there's no issue there. But also it's just, it's not a bunch of information. You're going to be uh, saving very, very uh, small files in whatever, or yeah, very small amounts of information, whatever format it is. Um, so I was like, okay, well, let's, let's step back. Let's not have you get overwhelmed by core data because that's, <laughs> that's a lot, especially for someone new. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, it was like, they would have had one table <clears throat> or one, um, now I forget what the name is, I'm I'm thinking of like Postgres, Um, one model in Core Data, and that's it, there there were no relationships or anything uh, sort of complex in that way. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we eventually started talking about Codable, and gave them a couple articles on um, saving, you know, like a plist or JSON, and saying, this is probably what you're going to want because of just well one the sheer easy setup of of you know conforming your objects decodable and then saying hey json encoder encode this json decoder decode this and and you're good um so that kind of sparked this whole thing where uh, we wanted to go over storage mediums because there are a lot uh, and sometimes it's hard to choose the right one for you and am i saying that was maybe the best choice uh I don't know if they were making a more complex app, uh, later on, maybe it would have been nice to have the thing in core data to begin with. So, uh, I thought it would be good to kind of, you know, hash all of this out and see, see what you thought as well. So anyway, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's interesting because perhaps my first gut, like if I did not know what I knew, like what I would reach for first was not even like core data or codable or anything. It's just stick it in user defaults. That's like the, one of the first that's things true. you tend to learn about. And it's like the, the easiest of APIs to use. It's really not difficult by any means. Um, so it, it's a, something that's very easy to grasp towards, even though it's oftentimes the wrong uh, solution for so many things. Um, so maybe something good that we can start with uh, is locations for storage. Um, and hmm. I can enumerate a few of them. We can go over them. Uh, For instance, you can put stuff in the user defaults uh, directly, um, or you can choose to write a file to the documents uh, folder with file manager or to a Mm -hmm. cache folder, Um, or uh, you might have some sensitive data, so you might want to choose to save that in the keychain. Or finally, uh, you might want to have this data sync across multiple devices with putting, once again, relatively little effort into it. So you might want to use the iCloud key value store, which is kind of like user defaults except shared. Um, Mm -hmm. So those are all different uh, areas that we can go ahead and put things in, Um, but it really depends on what those things are. Um, So do you have like a a good grasp as far as like which one your students should probably have leaned towards?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I did think about user defaults, and my only thing with that is what I, both I and previous students that I had, especially at the first boot camp I worked at, was um, <clears throat> they would sort of, I don't know about abuse, but maybe rely on user defaults as a crutch too much, where when they did start to um, build more complex apps, then that was the only thing that they knew. Uh, and so my thinking with Codable was like, I don't know. <clears throat> Adding a couple properties, optional properties to a struct is pretty easy and still having the whole codable thing work, but it's a little more scalable I think than user defaults, but uh that was th- I guess that was my thinking on not using user mm-hmm. defaults. It was like I guess a good middle ground in between like too easy and um perhaps not like scalable to core data being like probably too much for their use case if that makes sense. mm
0: mm-hmm. Mhm. I would also consider like user defaults. If you're writing a production app, is something that you should not store anything very important in because, mm. like, as a first way of debugging a problem, nuking the user defaults might be the a solution to try. That's true. Um, <laughs> and I'm always hesitant to this because I know that not every app developer follows this religiously. Uh, that uh, the user defaults hopefully doesn't have anything use like. Super important in it for the app to like continue working uh-huh. the way it was working. It's not just like oh, I wanted to put my window here, or oh, I wanted uh, my panel to show up on this side of the screen, kind of thing. Um, and people tend to put way more in there just because it's simple, right? Um, it's very straightforward to do.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the whole thing, right? They're user defaults. They're like user settings, basically. And so, like, mm-hmm. I'll almost always try to, especially with students gravitate towards or rather like push them away from using user defaults for anything other than like just straight up settings. And like you said, anything that's not mission critical uh, like a theme or whatever. Cool. Yeah. Throw that in. Uh, Mm -hmm. But so
0: I don't know. Yeah. And if you're using Swift UI, you might know this under the term app storage or scene storage. It's still in the user defaults at the end of the day. So um, I would like definitely, Keep that to uh, settings that the user prefers, like preferences, Um, uh, but do not necessarily keep pertinent information there, uh, especially not things like usernames and keep uh, and uh, passwords. Uh, Like you might keep the last account someone was had open in there, but you might not want to keep the account information in there kind of thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure.
0: I guess that leads into the keychain. So the keychain is an excellent place to put usernames and passwords, uh, but it's a poor place to put lots of data. Um, mm-hmm. Like oftentimes uh, a strategy that you might want to take is if you have lots of data you want to keep secure to store the key to encrypt or decrypt that information in the keychain, but then store mm-hmm. that information as uh, um, in its encrypted form on the disk in like the file manager... Um, that's oftentimes a better uh, trade off. Uh, oftentimes, people think that the secure enclave is like storing all these keys that the user's uh, keeping. No, it's just storing like a master key that can unlock the keys that are in the user's keychain. Um, and that's how it actually works. It's not really storing any information on behalf of the user, uh, it's just storing the key that can unlock that information. Um, and it never leaves that device, meaning that information is passed to the secure enclave and it's encrypted and passed back. Um, so usually it's a set of uh it's a chain of keys along the way, and you can think of the keychain as the same thing for your data. um It's just where you want to store the keys hence the keychain um and th- then you can go ahead and store that like encrypted bulk information somewhere else, like even in the user default at this point um if if you're feeling extra lazy about it, but uh, <laughs> you probably want to store it in a file um as well, right?
1: yeah, for sure. So like like you said, with you know, storing things in, in File Manager, it's basically, I mean <clears throat> the easiest way that I, I like to think about file manager is really just like a programmatic finder. Um, you can do pretty much any operation that you know you want, copy, move, all that stuff. So it's just, you know, accessing your <clears throat> your phone or your devices um, file direct or file or yeah, file system. Uh, Mm -hmm. so you could, you can store whatever you want in there. I mean, oftentimes like if you're using core data, maybe you store images in there and just, you know, have like the, the file name stored in core data, but the image itself is stored in, in some folder or whatever. Um, but with that, you've got like, uh, like we were talking about, you could just have a JSON file, uh, that is using codable. You could use XML, you could use PList, uh, you know you can store anything you want in there. And so, um, that's ultimately, you know, that's, like I said, that solution that, um, I had the student kind of end up going with and I I think it worked out okay. Um, they've moved past their group projects and I'm only there once a week. So I don't quite know the end result of that. Maybe I'll ask him and and do a follow up, but, um, that can be nice because, you know, you can just store whatever you want in there in any format you want, whether it's, um, something common like json xml or whatever but you could also if you really wanted to you could store anything you want you could store your own binaries in there which is Mm -hmm. way beyond my pay grade i've never done that but in theory you could have your own you know file type and encrypt that however you want and and just store that on um on your device's file system Mm -hmm. the only
0: thing to keep in mind when you are storing to the file system is where you are storing it like documents is a great place to do it because it is backed up um, it is kind of hidden from the user in most contexts, so that's that's a good default place. There are some special folders that uh, quote-unquote iTunes used to be able to access, which is the Finder now on the Mac. So if you plug in your device to a Mac, you can go ahead and use that as a place to uh, swap files easily. Um, and then there are other folders like caches, which uh, can be used to store lots of information that you might need, um, but that information might not be 100% necessary for your app to function. And what this Mm -hmm. means is the device can go ahead and clear it when your app is not running um, to make more room for the user's actual data. Um, So if there is anything that you can always rebuild at any moment in time, like caches is an
1: excellent place for that. So with that, I know that um, there's like the NS temporary directory. Would that count as a cache or would that be something different?
0: So, that would count as, like, a very short-lived cache. So, usually, okay. Device Reboot will uh, clear that. Um, mm-hmm. Or you should ideally clear that when you're done, like, doing whatever you're doing. Uh, you just needed a space to write a file. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's generally what that's for. So, if you find yourself writing to the temporary directory and then not cleaning up afterwards, it's kind of uh, a bit smelly in terms of practice. <laughs> um because you are essentially littering the user's device with stuff and the system won't know if it can clean it up yet um it will clean it up eventually um but it doesn't know if it can clean it up yet if your app is still technically open it can't just go ahead and say okay it's time to clean this um because you you are still potentially editing those files um so definitely if you are writing to the temporary directory uh, do go ahead and delete those files when you're done with them, or move them out of the temporary directory to where you actually want them to live, um, and that that would be what's considered best practice for that.
1: Okay, so for the caches, I've never actually like used <clears throat> uh, kind of a, a specific directory as a cache. So, do you just is it like one of the search path directories? Where in, like mm-hmm. you're saying like URLs for uh, directory, and you say like instead of documents, you say Caches. Is, is, it's just caches? Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah it's, oh, it's a built-in... It like, it's in the library in s- somewhere? Yeah. Um, oh, so it's a little okay.
0: different on the Mac versus iOS. So on the Mac, you have your home directory, and then in there you have a library directory, and then in there you have all sorts of things, like caches is one of the things that are in there. User defaults are under preferences, for instance. In iOS, uh, every app is given a little, uh, like partition of the operating system if you will um and it's as if it's its own home directory uh right then and there so you have documents but you also have a library caches um and the os stores some stuff in there for on your behalf so for instance when you close out an app it takes a snapshot at the last moment so that way when you launch the app it shows something that's stored in your library caches you can look it up yeah. um like it's it's right there next to your other files so uh do Do poke around at that, especially with the simulator, you can print out the path that you just wrote to, and then you can just open that in the finder, um, and see exactly like what's being saved with your app. It's definitely, uh, an interesting little bit of investigation that you can do because you can learn about how the OS versions are like differing over time, uh, and see what they are doing and how you can learn from that. Right.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Um. So, okay, continuing with, like, the difference between the temporary directory and the caches. So you said the temporary directory, you know, it'll get cleared sometime, but kind of bad practice to just let it go. With the caches, does it clear itself, like, on exit of the app? Like, is it basically just, like, RAM? Or, like, does it... Yeah, I guess when does it clear itself, or do you have to still clear it? So
0: ideally, you would only clear when you don't need that data anymore. But you saved it to the caches because you might need it later, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not going to be cleared when your app exits or when the phone reboots. It will only ever be cleared when the device experiences, uh, like, a low um, a, a low space warning. Um, oh, okay. I forget exactly what the terminology for this is. Um, but when, like, you want to take a picture and there's no room left, uh, it will go ahead and see, okay, which apps are not open and which apps can I clear? Mm-hmm. The okay. cache is for, um, and that will that will be one way. Oftentimes, if you have a lot of complex functionality in your in your app, you might have like a secret button to clear the caches for, on the user's behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way, they you can instruct them over email like, "Hey, go to the screen, the screen, shake twice, jump around in a circle, and then you'll see a <laughs> button uh, that says C-Race caches.' Uh, that's your secret button." Uh, don't do this for everything and like waste a lot of energy and is kind of pointless in most cases, but it might fix the situation kind of thing. Um, So I'm not encouraging everyone listening to like put any race caches button in in your app. It's only if that is something that you found has been necessary over time and instead of uh, having the time to find out like why it's happening, it's easier just to have a button for it. Um, Mm -hmm. Another opportunity for this is if in your user defaults, for instance, you save the last version that was launched of your app, which is a good uh, thing to save in user defaults, you can go ahead and check that on first launch or on every launch. Uh, And if that version is not the same as your current version, you can go ahead and do things like clear caches proactively and make sure to migrate other things that are different between versions. Gotcha. Okay.
1: So... I guess in a nutshell, it's, it's like the caches folder is it's persistent, but it's like um, a good citizen of persistence. Like it will, mm-hmm. you're saying like, worst case, if the user needs storage, you can get rid of it. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Yeah,
0: it's it's a great place for like d- putting images that the user has downloaded from the internet. So that way you don't uh-huh. have to re-download the image again. You can just mm-hmm. look it up. Uh, i not saying that image is free, forever going to be like uh, usable by you, so you should clean it up in your app if you know the user's never going to access it again. Sure. Um, and if you use like NSCache, uh, which is an object that's part of um, Foundation, I think, uh, it will go ahead and use this caches folder. So it's not like oh. you need to always use it yourself. Um, there are plenty of utilities that do use it. Uh, if you use WKWebView, uh, that uses the caches folder um if you use url session that uses a caches folder so all of these things do use the cache folder and you are invited to also use it for anything custom that you do
1: cool that's really cool Um, that's all of this stuff like for example this cache and stuff i'm like that's awesome i want to use it and i'm like i have no current (laughs) need for it but i'd love to you know just make some sort of a test out for it because i just want to kind of experience what it can do but uh, it mm-hmm. seems relatively straightforward where, like you're saying, you can use a cache uh, and, and do it that way, like an NS cache, or you could really, I mean, it's just as simple as instead of writing to the documents directory, you write to that. Mm-hmm. It's, there's no real difference, I suppose. So that's nice that there's no um, real learning curve, I suppose, there. Exactly. Um, and
0: then the last like place you can store stuff is the iCloud key value store. Um, So there are some asterisks for this one. The user needs to be signed in with an iCloud account on their device, which is fairly common at this point, but not ubiquitous. Like, I've seen plenty of people's devices where there is no iCloud, like, account signed in. Uh, So that's something you want to keep in mind when you do use this. It won't be available in that case. Um, You need to have an entitlement, which in the past meant that you cannot transfer your app between... Uh, yeah. accounts if you decide to sell it later that is now thankfully no longer the case so good on apple just for changing barely that, like last month like yeah. very recently very, very uh so recently. <laughs> so good on them um and then uh yeah from that point forward you can use it just like user defaults there are some severe size limitations that you should keep in mind so uh-huh. definitely don't use this for like anything that is not user defaulty uh that you want to sync up Uh, But for little pieces of information, it works exactly the same.
1: Yeah, as far as I remember, it's like one megabyte, maybe, of of storage per uh, app. Like, it's... I mean, a megabyte's like, it's a lot if you're just storing It's a million bytes, know That's a lot of numbers. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's not (laughs) half a terabyte like your phone has of storage. So, uh, be slightly cautious around that it's either one megabyte or 10 i can't remember but it's not much Mm -hmm. Um,
0: and i think each key has like 64 kilobytes of data uh associated with it it's not much
1: yeah oh yeah that's right yeah so it can be good i've used it before um yeah and it's like ns ubiquitous key value store it has like the longest name well maybe not the longest name but it's got a freaking long name um it's cool yep uh at this point it really comes down to choosing what
0: you want to save uh mm-hmm. to something um and once you have a piece of data you can save it to any of these locations it can go in user default it can go in the documents directory um it can even go in the keychain if you really want to um, yeah. but uh oftentimes it's difficult to choose exactly how you want to store uh your data in terms of data right uh, do you want it to be human readable do you want it to be quickly accessible? Uh, do you want it to be easy to code? Do you want it to be uh, very efficient, right? There's all sorts of different trade-offs that you need to uh, kind of go for. Um, and I would say probably one of the oldest and uh, most well-known of these storage formats is XML. That's like the de facto one that kind of s- took the 90s by storm and has uh, <laughs> forever cursed us since
1: yeah, um, I, yeah, hmm. what to say about XML? Okay, I don't personally enjoy it. <laughs> I, I'm working on a side project with Ben that uses a lot of XML, and I have to parse it manually, and it's like, it's a huge, well, okay, sorry, I'm parsing it manually because it's on Linux, and there's no XML parser uh, or XML document to use, so there's that, that, that kind of doesn't help. But even the first-party APIs for, um, yeah, parsing xml aren't in my opinion as nice as something like uh, json where you can just make a Codable structure and it like decodes it all for you and it's, it's kind of magical and it works great um it, it it's almost a little bit going it almost feels like going back to the days of um json serialization where it's a little bit more manual than than that so uh, i tend to stay away from xml so my experience there is not great so Dimitri's probably a better person to kind of really talk about frozen cons of xml <laughs>
0: yeah so let, let's talk about about what xml is so um i don't i don't think xml came before html i think html was one of the first like markup languages of the style but you have mm-hmm. these open and closing uh, angle brackets everywhere uh and those refer to entities so you might have a say if you're storing um weather data okay so you might have a day and then in that day you might have a temperature and you might have a condition okay um so in xml terms this would end up being uh, day within your angle brackets uh and then some space later day within angle brackets but with a forward slash in front of day to say that's closing out the day um, mm-hmm. and then in between those two tags Uh, you would go ahead and put more tags. So you'd have one for temp, for instance. You'd have open angle bracket temp close angle bracket 74. Open Mm -hmm. angle bracket forward slash temp close angle bracket. Um, And that will go ahead and uh, like signify, hey, that's the temperature for this day. Uh, And then you might have a second line with a tag called condition and then a value within condition brackets uh, tags. So XML uses this kind of structure, which has been made very popular by HTML. Uh-huh. And you can go ahead and store all sorts of different types of structures with this. And you can describe exactly what your structure, how it works with rigorous rules uh, using an XMLS or something. Uh, I always forget exa- the exact sequence of those letters in that acronym Uh, but it's oftentimes the very first line of your xml file you're going to see that Um, and this kind of tells a parsing engine exactly if your xml is valid or not and this is just Mm -hmm. a way of tooling because initially these files were written by hand so you'd want to make sure that they can they can still work Um, So as far as like written by hand goes XML is a pretty good format for that because you can read it by hand Uh, Mm -hmm. If you open the file and you make sure it's formatted you can go ahead and directly inspect things You can change things easily. You can add or remove things um, pretty easily Um, So that's one of its strong suits now Anything that's easy for a human to manipulate usually means it's harder for a computer to read and make sure <laughs> yeah. it's valid uh, because humans can introduce errors along the way or inconsistencies or crazy variations that the computer wasn't really expecting. So that's where the difficulty with XML comes up, um, especially when it comes down to uh, like parsing it by hand like Spencer is doing, yeah. uh, where he might want to visit his good friend the regex uh, to help uh. him <laughs> to help him do that or not. Um, so I do want to clarify: HTML is not a flavor of XML; it is a different thing. It does not have the XMLS thing at the top. Mm-hmm. There was a flavor of HTML called XHTML, uh, which was XML. Um, but that was like long since dropped in favor of HTML5, which breaks all sorts of rules. Like you don't have to have the low closing. Um, pattern at the end of like image tags and things like that. Uh, you can just say open angle bracket image uh, source and then close angle bracket, and that's totally fine. Um, so uh, HTML is not XML, but if you know HTML, you basically know XML. It's just HTML with a bit more rules and then a lot more freedom to have your own tags and stuff like that. Right. So. Yeah, if you want to use XML, it's probably because something is already giving you XML. It's not because you are choosing to, like, <laughs> I have a brand new storage for my... That's going to be XML. Um, that's probably not the what's hip with the kids nowadays. Um, yeah. So uh, there is something that is hip with the kids nowadays,
1: and that is JSON, right? Yeah. JSON's great. Um... Quick, <laughs> what does if... JSON stand for? I know. JavaScript Object Notation bummer about that part that it has javascript in the name but (laughs) um json is let's see how can i describe this it's like basically a dictionary or an array and you know with with child children of again dictionaries or arrays for as long as you want to but it's i think the biggest strong suit for json is a super readable uh, okay two yeah two things Super readable, at least it's way more readable to me than XML is if I have to manually edit some JSON. Um, it's just key value pairs for the most part, or arrays. Um, but another huge thing about it in in iOS land, or Apple ecosystem land, is it uses Codable, or you can use Codable with it, uh, or JSON serialization, which is what we did pre-Swift 4, I think, Um which was fine. Uh, you basically just would turn your JSON into, into dictionaries, uh, Swift dictionaries. But now we've got codable, which is sort of this really nice in between of, um, sort of intermediary intermediary between the JSON itself, which is just, you know, a text file with some, uh, structure for, again, saying if it's like a dictionary or an array and giving children of key value pairs. Um, to your actual struct itself. And a lot of cool stuff happens in the background to say, um, hey, you know, I this is my structure. I've sort of matched it to what the JSON is gonna give me. Uh, decode this and sort of shuffle those key value pairs or arrays over to my properties, and it's pretty much done. Um, uh, and again, you can sort of manually do it. But I think the biggest kind of strong thing about JSON is because of Codable, uh, it's very easy to ingest uh, that information and put it into something that's actually usable by your app it, as like a struct or a class. But also, again, going back to that student's whole thing was it's it's basically a one-liner to turn JSON data into your struct or turn your struct into JSON data and just save it out to, again, like user defaults, or sorry, not user defaults, uh, like file manager or something like that in the documents directory or, or anything. So I think this, for me, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling here. I think the biggest thing for JSON to me is like, it feels like a more refined, simple XML where they essentially do the same thing. The the tags in XML are sort of like the keys. And then whatever you put in there is the value more or less. Um, JSON does the same thing in just a kind of a cleaner way where, for me, it's a lot easier to kind of mentally parse things and and either write JSON manually or, again, let Codable do the work and just kind of have, have good JSON uh, written for me. And I know it's formatted correctly. And, again, going back to XML, there's no, like, XML document or XML parser that you need. It just kind of is all contained within this Codable protocol, and there's two methods there's one initializer and one uh function that you need to implement if you really want to and one enum and that's basically it so uh just kind of a i'd say more simple and mature json or xml i don't know how to put it i'm, I'm interested to see what dimitri has to say <laughs> so i i would say json is great because
0: it's ubiquitous right like yeah. every server oh, on the planet knows what JSON is because every server needs to communicate with a client front end in some way, uh, and that web front end, like its most natural thing that it's able to use, is uh, is JSON. Basically, um, there was like, let me see if I if I'm remembering this correctly. The very first. Uh, like, asynchronous API on the web was, like, XML-based, I think. Like, XML async request or something. Like, that was the the actual, like, naming of that API. Uh, so it's interesting to see the web go from XML to JSON, even though, like, it started off, like, hey, if you're transmitting data, like, data is, looks like HTML, so XML is, like, perfect for arbitrary data. Durr. Um, But... Uh, JavaScript uh, developers uh, did a one-up on that, and they got 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 together, and they all thought to themselves, "What is the laziest way we can represent data in?" Um, <laughs> that's, that's and awesome. uh, no, like let, let me go through with this because it's it's gonna it's gonna be a little eye-opening um, because what JSON is, as you said, JavaScript object notation. It is basically uh, how you represent an object, either a dictionary or an array in JavaScript. Like it's a, right. it's a literal of the language. Uh, and what you would do to consume JSON is you would say, Hey, my variable equals eval open parentheses, a JSON string. And you're just going to evaluate that JavaScript as if it were JavaScript. And therefore you'd get some data that you can put in a variable. Like it was that stupid early on and that was the appeal of it because it didn't require any parsing it didn't require anything it's just quite literally a javascript blob that you're importing into your software dynamically um, right because javascript is a very dynamic runtime and therefore you can go ahead and evaluate this arbitrary data that's coming in from the server as valid javascript and therefore store it in a in a variable and do something with it and directly manipulate it because it's not just a string at that point, structured data because you evaluated it as such. Uh, now that's thankfully not what you should be doing nowadays. Like, do not use eval for that because that uh, is like a ripe way to just have arbitrary code execution happen in your in your JavaScript application. So, yeah, not recommended. But uh, that is like the inception of JSON, and uh, it's amazing that it has gotten this far uh, for what it is. So we've kind of thrown out the typed data that is XML, and we've uh, <laughs> taken on board untyped data, which is JSON, because JavaScript is famously uh, not uh, type script, type uh, strict, um, in that you can be very loosey-goosey, uh, see Watt. Um, and, yes. yeah, I, I need to make a mention of that. So good. Uh, definitely go, go see the Watt video uh it yeah. is eye opening in its own in its own uh way um but yeah that's 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 like what json is in a nutshell it's just the laziest conceivable way of storing data that someone thought of uh and therefore we are now stuck with it as the de facto like communication mm-hmm. uh like object format uh for the time being
1: <laughs> yeah i i sense a little hostility there
0: No. So uh, for all the hostility that I bring up, I am like a champion of JSON in terms of its simplicity, because in terms of describing the data, you cannot get simpler. It's like very programmery. like if you don't know programming, maybe it's a little tiny bit intimidating. It's like, why am I using curly braces and square brackets? Um, But as soon as you learn at least one programming language, it becomes very obvious as far as like what the individual types mean. Um, and it's, it's very straightforward to go ahead and then use as a result of that.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Um, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, JSON is not like super efficient. You're repeating the keys all over the place and, uh, like you can have some structure to this. Uh, well, someone came out with a thing called BSON, which is binary something object notation, uh, binary scripts. (laughs) I don't really know what it stands for. Um, but It is a binary version of json so uh what i mean by that is instead of re-encoding the same keys all over the place it's gonna go ahead and just name the keys uh with a uh like shorter key and then just reuse that over and over and over again um and it can be more efficient in how it's storing Mm -hmm. everything so uh you might wonder like hey like surely you wouldn't use json or bson as a The storage format for databases, but that's what MongoDB does. It just kind of serializes that to BSON and then has that as its
1: storage medium uh, for cold storage. Oh, I didn't know that. It stands for binary JavaScript object notation, so it's like a double (laughs) acronym. Or what do you call that when it's like a... Yeah, anyway. An acronym.
0: Too many many letters. Um, But yeah, that's what JSON and BSON are. Um, This... This like leads us to another format that Codable like directly supports. Um, mm-hmm. and that is PLISTs. Uh and P Lists are very interesting because there's technically three different PList formats.
1: Right? Yeah, I didn't actually know that until I saw this in the in the notes. So I've only used PLISTs as XML under the hood. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So those are the most common ones, right? Like, yeah. if you open up a, if you open a dot plist file that you find in like a preferences folder, that's probably what you're going to see. However, the other two are also super common. You might have seen them if you've ever printed an Objective-C dictionary or array. Like that printed notation is the ASCII format. Um, like as oh. is, uh, if you've ever, uh, opened up a dot strings file that's been compiled into your app, it looks a little gobbledygooky. Uh, really? If you open that in uh, in Xcode, it will go ahead and, and like just see that, hey, this is a binary plist. And it will show you a dictionary of keys and values. Oh. Um, so binary plists are just a little bit uh, more compact and more efficient to encode and decode because they're not human readable, once again. Right. Uh, but there are two human readable versions. One is the ASCII uh, plist, which is something that looks quite similar to JSON for all intents and purposes. Uh, it does have semicolons and other things that are a little different, but the flavor is the same. Uh, and then you have the XML lists, which uh, will go ahead and more strictly type everything. Um, so that way you can go ahead and see like, oh, like what the actual values are. Um, and it's quite easy for an XML parser uh, that's not on an Apple system to go ahead and read uh, one of those plist formats,
1: right? Okay, that's cool. Um, so, with that, <clears throat> are you able to choose? Okay, well, let me put this in the context of like codable specifically. Are you able mm-hmm. to choose which format it gets encoded to?
0: Yeah. So uh, the plist encoder, so property list encoder, uh, has a property on it of format, um, and I think you can choose okay. between uh, the uh, XML and the binary formats. I don't think you can choose ASCII oh, yeah. anymore. It's like definitely from the next days, uh, so it's a very old uh, format. But I think it reads ASCII format just fine.
1: Yeah, um, I just looked it up in the documentation. It's it's just a an output format uh, property, but the uh, the constants for it are XML, binary, and OpenStep. So OpenStep, yes, yeah, that's the ASCII most one, definitely. <laughs> Most definitely. And it's, yeah, it says it's not supported for writing. It's only for reading old style property lists. So, yeah. Interesting. That's that's gnarly old. (laughs) Uh,
0: I think NS property list serialization supports the ASCII one. Uh, Hmm. But if you do want to write it, once again, you just have to take your dictionary and dot description it. Uh, That is literally the ASCII format uh, that Mm -hmm. you get printed to the console. So, it does have its use, like it's super human readable, which is why it's used for like string descriptions and stuff like that. Uh, That said, uh, Swift uh, dictionaries and arrays do not use this format. So do not get them confused. Uh, It's strictly for the Objective-C ones. Mm
1: -hmm. Gotcha. Um,
0: But yeah, so like if you are using Codable, property lists might be something that you want to reach for on Apple systems. Like if you're just once again saving something for your internal use, um, and it's not really going to exit your app in any sort of way, uh, mm. it, they might be slightly faster. They might be slightly slower. It's been something that's gone back and forth over time. Uh, so it really comes down to uh, if you want to be easily opening this in other things. So one like huge benefit of property list files is you can drag them to your Mac and open them in Xcode and you get a nice table to like work yeah. with them. Uh, So it's like built-in easy UI to manipulate these, which you do not get with JSON. You have to have some sort of external app that can help you with that. Uh, So that's like the main win for a property list. I have not seen them be significantly faster or slower. Like, as I said, it changes every version or so in terms of which one is more efficient for any given moment in time. Uh, But if you are storing them, definitely go ahead and use the binary version because, once again, you can open in Xcode, so there's not too much loss in terms of Mm -hmm. your ability to read them there. Um, And they are a lot more efficient than just uh, using the XML version.
1: I was just looking to see what the default was if you didn't specify uh, an output format.
0: I think it might be the XML version.
1: I'd probably assume it was um i guess the good thing about you know deciding between xml and json in the context of using codable is uh if you are like using uh property lists uh as your kind of um format more or less it would be very easy to load up your your plist uh J- or sorry <laughs> plist json uh your your plist uh object Uh, you know, decode it into just your Swift struct, and then encode it back into, like, JSON and save that if you ever wanted to kind of, like, flip-flop between them. So that's Mm kind of nice, I I suppose.
0: There are some things you should keep in mind uh, that I'm reminded of right now. Uh, So, uh, for instance, null values are not supported in the XML plist, but they are supported in the binary plist formats. Um, And I think there are some... Similar restrictions in terms of like keys for JSON and plist like they're not intercompatible 100 percent like there are some yeah. conchas. Do you remember just any others?
1: I I was the one that I was thinking of is I think you can actually just store like binary data in a plist and I'm not. Yes, I, I don't think that's that's the case for JSON. So uh, yeah, JSON does not just, have binary yeah, data. Disregard that. I guess if you wanted to like base 64 encode it, you could, but. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm yeah okay I, never mind codable
0: makes a lot of that easier right it does know how to like uh save things like dates and things like data um into json because it just serializes them um yeah. but uh plists have native forms for dates and for uh and for them data uh yeah. that it can go ahead and know directly hey this is not a string this is data um and in the XML one it's going to be base 64 encoded because you have to. It's a human readable format, but in the binary one guess what that's going to be super efficient. Um and it's, you're not going to lose a, th- a quarter of your of uh your space just because you wanted to save some data into it. Um <laughs> yeah. so that's something to keep in mind.
1: Yeah. Okay, so disregard my earlier comment.
0: <laughs> I this leads us to like the big the big one of uh the storage formats and this is core data. Um, yeah. And core data is the big one because it can do a lot more than uh, like plist or uh, JSON files can. Uh, in fact, not all the data needs to be loaded at all, um, and this is what core data uh, does splendidly. It allows you to describe, hey, what your data should be. This informs what the storage format is. That's why you need to do all that schema and. Uh, like entity stuff ahead of time, it's because that is directly describing your storage format. Um, And then that storage format will be a hyper-efficient variation of that um, that is actually SQLite under the hood, um, which we'll get into in a bit. Um, But you can go ahead and, once again, just load pieces of that data into memory at a time, and you don't need to have everything in memory. Um, And that's what makes it very efficient for apps that need huge amounts of data. Um, but I want to emphasize huge, like Uh for you, Spencer, what would be the cutoff point between like the, the ease of use of, uh, JSON files or codable files versus something full on like core data.
1: Yeah. I think it comes down to both size, but also complexity Mm -hmm. where, um, i mean uh, one thing of of core data is you can have these relationships between these entities or these model objects basically and it makes a lot of that kind of stuff nice where you load up the parent it also grabs the child objects and everything so there are like a lot of things there but i'd say storage or size wise yeah i mean you'd have to have i I don't know um a thousand ten thousand objects maybe i'm not quite sure uh But going, okay, so, like, going back to this comparison with JSON, JSON files are small, right? But if you ever try to, like, store even, like, I've been working with some JSON files that are, like, a megabyte, five megabytes, and it doesn't sound like much. But you try to open that thing in Xcode, it will bring your computer to its knees just trying to open Xcode with a JSON file that large.
0: Um, It's a million characters, Spencer. That's a lot of characters. It could be five million
1: but (laughs) my point is especially if they're uh, on one line xcode is not happy (laughs) they better be on multiple lines otherwise it's a lost cause yeah i i mean i don't know if it's quite that hard in an app format to just like load it up into uh some variable or whatever but uh just going off of that i can tell that it's a lot easier to pull or a lot faster i suppose i should say uh, to pull something out of core data, like Dimitri said, it's just you pluck whatever you need. You're not loading this entire database of potentially literally millions of instances of, of objects, uh, but you only, you just run a query and say, hey, just, you know, give me these things that match whatever this uh, criteria is. And it's it's very, very efficient at that. So um, if if efficiency and yeah i I mean i I hesitate to say like ease of use because it's not necessarily the easiest thing to use but on a larger scale you're gonna save a bunch of headache uh, performance wise when you when you use core data
0: Mm -hmm. and i wouldn't necessarily say you need to start with core data like it's, Mm. it's very easy to start with json or codable in general um, and then when you need to use core data, it's as if you were going to use core data from the beginning. So it's not like any extra work to switch to do that switch later. Um, but as Spencer said, you generally know uh, when you need to make that switch over when writing a new uh, like object to your JSON array uh, it ta- starts taking significant like a significant amount of time. Um, and this is generally only once your JSON file like reaches megabytes in size, because mm-hmm. every single time you need to write to it, you need to write the entire thing to it. Every time, single time you need to read from it, you need to read the entire thing uh, from it. So it gets slower and slower the more you add. Um, yeah. And that's there's kind of an exponential uh, character to that that makes it uh, a poor choice for very large data sets, because... Uh, your app will essentially get worse and worse over time as user uses it more and more, uh, especially if, if you're storing tons of small pieces of information. Um, generally, I would say you can characterize this as around 10,000 entities. So if the main okay. thing in your app, like say our hypothetical weather history app, uh, ha- has like a day, and then in that day you have a temperature, condition, yada, 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 uh, UV index, what have you. Um once you reach, if you think you're ever going to reach about ten thousand days, then you might want to like use core data from the beginning. If you know that, hey, your app, if it's running what every day for a year, that's three hundred and sixty, uh, and then like three years, that's going to be about a thousand. Um, that means it would have to be running for thirty years straight to get to that ten thousand mark. You can probably mm-hmm. save yourself and just skip that because computers <laughs> will get faster by then. Um, sure. So you can just stick to like a simple JSON format. You'll probably be fine for a long time. Like you can ca- characterize that um, because it will like it's every day your app is run. It's that's the most that you're going to add to it. So, um, and there are different ways about that. You can say, hey, maybe every year is to sort in its own file, and that can be more efficient. Mm. But at that point, you're approaching what a database does. Um, like Core Data, what it's doing under the hood is it's using something called SQLite, uh, and SQLite is a database format. And what a database is is two pieces of information it's a table um, and that table is separated into chunks that are like put into different files in the file system um, and then you have something called an index that is loaded into memory so anytime you want something it looks up in that index where it is in those tables and then it will say okay we need to load file 7 um, it loads file 7 which is a small amount of data and it grabs just what it needs it just jumps right to it and then grabs it if you need to write a new, like thing to your database it either goes to the end which is very easy uh or if it needs to go in the middle it's just modifying one file or splitting one file it's not necessarily uh doing a ton more than that however there is that level of indirection that you're dealing with you need to look up in the index first and then you need to go to a file um and therefore there's a little bit of latency for everything that you're doing uh as opposed to uh Dealing with that latency at the beginning where you load everything in memory, which is what you're doing with JSON. So, right. uh, there are always trade-offs there, um, that you should like think about. Uh, as an exercise, you can totally like make your own mini database. You can have different files of JSON and then an index JSON that links everything together. And like, that's totally fine. That's essentially what a database is doing. And if it works for your needs, it might be way simpler, right? Yeah. You don't have to have all the bells and whistles that, uh, core data and forces upon you to have something that works very similar to Core Data and you learn at the same time. So uh, it's a win-win for you uh, if you do want to go that route. So uh, you can probably tell I've been burned by Core Data one too many times <laughs> uh, that I just like don't want to ever reach for it. And I will go to uh, exceedingly stubborn lengths to avoid using it, uh, all in the name of learning. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's something that exists and it's something that uh works well for a lot of people and it's something that works very poorly with Swift. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it's 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 great. I love it.
1: Yeah. Well, a good thing that it's like, you know, I I mean uh, they're they're kind of making it a little more integrated with like SwiftUI and stuff. I don't know. uh I don't think I they did like anything I... recently. <laughs> like well okay it's just it, take optionals
0: long... just take optionals for instance it's like yeah. a whole a whole mess there's okay. optionals in cordata which are not optionals in swift uh, <laughs> right. all numbers are like mm, yeah that's not actually uh, oh you chose in 64 in the in the, <laughs> the drop down that's cute that's not an in 64 it's just a number um so yeah there there's okay. some idiosyncrasies with cordata and swift that make it uh a questionable choice nowadays um mm. but once again it's way easier than learning and dealing with SQLite yourself um uh, but yeah. potentially oh, way yeah. harder than just like writing your own index file so I don't mm. I don't really know where a good trade-off for that is
1: yeah that's interesting uh I mean yeah I would definitely not dive into the SQLite like myself but I don't know. I feel like I had uh, have had a somewhat decent experience with Cordata, although I'm positive that I haven't used it sort of on the scale that you have. So there's, you know,
0: I have not grade. used it at any scale. I just got burned early on. Oh, <laughs> I will. I will fully admit that. I okay, I, I, okay. I reached for my first migration and things went poorly, and I was like, mm, mm. "Yeah, this this does not feel worth it." In my very inexperienced <laughs> usage of it so far.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So like there is a huge learning curve, like uh, figuring out codable and JSON. like there's a learning curve, but it's, it's fairly small. Uh, Mm Core data, like Dimitri said, I mean, it's got optionals, it's got transient things, it's got migrations, it's got these relationships and there, there's a ton to it. I'd say, I don't know. Andrew Madsen was kind of the one that taught core data when I was learning. Uh, And so, and he, he's, uh, I think a pretty big champion of core data. And so I got like a, Uh, a good positive like perspective on it and so when i've used it it's been fine um it's definitely more work like the amount of work that you have to put up front just to get something working is much larger i will say that for sure um so again if you want to um get something up and running quickly honestly like dimitri said it might be easier to just you know write an index of of json files yourself and just do it that way um but I think core data is, is useful. I agree that it's like not the most fun thing to use in Swift. And, uh, in general, it's not, I mean, I don't think it's been supported or updated rather in a long time, really, except for adding a couple things to Swift UI a couple years ago. But, uh, I think it's worth learning about. I know that at work, we use it, um, for our internal database. So it's like, it's not like no one's using it, but I don't know, you know, that's that's a sample of size of one, so I don't know how many companies are using it as opposed to um, other means.
0: Mm-hmm. And to be clear, like, it is used a bunch. It is not something that uh, is not used at all. Um, and it works well for what it does, and it has relatively few uh, bugs for the lower level things. Like, there have been bugs in the past, especially when you want to use, like, magic Uh, Some magic pieces of it It is like, oh yeah, automatically store this as an image file for me, please. Um, Oh yeah, and that like stopped working for one OS release, and that was like enough to like burn it again uh, and like (laughs) ruin my efforts to uh, try to embrace it once again. Uh, So uh, (laughs) yeah, I'm I'm a bit jaded, but it it is definitely being used, and there are definitely workarounds for like those pieces that are on the flakier side. I just wish uh, that Apple uh perhaps put a little more uh care into migrating it over to swift and showing that it's still something that they care deeply about because it feels like it's it's just sitting there and being in Uh uh, like on maintenance mode um and to be clear tons of apple apps themselves use it so it's not like it's completely foreign and you can go ahead and inspect like unarchive their Show contents or what it's called, whatever it's called, and see the the entity files that you can open in Xcode and see the map. Like it's all there um, and it's not really being hidden for any practical purpose. Um, But yeah, it is something that uh, is perhaps a bit more complicated than it should be, probably because Mm -hmm. it is trying to uh, model a bunch of complex behaviors that maybe a lot of people need, but maybe a lot of people don't, right?
1: yeah yeah i mean i just think about like i well i've been using postgres a lot with vapor but uh similar functionality to like sqlite in the sense of like the raw usage of it and like i wouldn't want to be writing you know filters and queries and stuff for the sqlite database directly so Mm -hmm. like having core data as an intermediary between you and the sqlite is like it's nice in that sense for sure i mean you get type safety for, uh, for the most part i think um Again, it's been a long time since I use core data, but I mean, you you get a like a little bit of like Swifty, J- Objective C e creature comforts. You're not working with strings all the time, but uh, it's definitely not the easiest uh, storage medium for sure. I mean, Im- imagine result builders
0: for like queries, yeah. like that be cool. could be so nice uh, to be able to use. And it doesn't necessarily need to be tied to SQLite. It can just be a custom binary format. It's not like SQLite is the be all end all of database formats for files, right? Yeah. Um, nowadays, like, yes, it is efficient, but like, you can lose a tiny bit of that efficiency if it makes it easier to uh, interact with from things like Swift.
1: Mm-hmm. As far as I know, I think you can actually set core data to use different um, underlying databases than SQLite. I could be wrong though.
0: Yeah, you um, can do, you can choose Plist, I think. Which is probably not oh. a, a wise <laughs> choice. Well, okay, all right, all right. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, Core Data is a thing that exists, and it is. Uh, what was that? That famous? It remains a product in our. Uh...
1: Y- yeah, I. Oh, I. I know what you're talking about. I don't know. It remains a product uh, in our lineup.
0: Yeah, it remains a product in our lineup. <laughs> that's the feel that i get from it yeah Uh, i get that i get that (laughs) so moving on from core data uh there's one more like apple technology that is thankfully being phased out but still exists uh, and that is nscoding and keyed archiver um so this was pre-codable uh apple's way of (laughs) encoding like objects into things like uh plists Um, because that's where you'd often want to store them. Like one of the most common things before Stack Overflow was how do I save a color in my property list? Like the user chose a color for their calendar and I want to save that in the user defaults. How do I... Put this color thing into the user defaults because there's no like save co- set color for key uh, and the answer to that was to encode it using uh, keyed archiver uh, and that would turn into a bit of data and then you can take that data and turn it back into a color down the line um, and yeah this was Apple's like binary uh, solution to that I don't remember if they use plist. I think binary plist use a format of keyed archiver instead like it's all like interrelated uh, mm-hmm. in that way um, but that meant it can be very efficiently saved as a result because it's just um, a subtree of that same binary format so uh, that's that's what NS coding and keyed archiver are I would not suggest continuing to use them nowadays though you might have to use them for things like state restoration uh, and mm-hmm. stuff like that um, but you can always just save a JSON blob to a key and call it a day as inefficient as that is computers have gone fast enough to deal with uh our our uh, little problems like that right
1: yeah i i th- this sort of predates my ios experience a little bit i know that they exist and i think i used them a little bit early on but um yeah i uh, my experience with uh, like ns archiver uh is is pretty limited so uh, I haven't used them really personally. I know that in in our in Lumen Fusion that uh, we do use it fairly extensively, and I think slowly we've been moving things over to using Codable instead, uh, kind of as an alternative, um, like Dimitri said. So, uh, yeah, I don't have much to say about that. <laughs> Sounds good,
0: um, and that leads us to the very last like type of format, and that is the the all encompassing one, binary format, um, and. There are tons of different serialization um, like patterns that you can follow, and uh, it's really up to you to just choose one if you want to go down that route. Uh, a very common one nowadays is protocol buffers, and this is because protocol buffers are something that Google invented for some RPC-like format that they were trying to push over uh, like passing JSON around. Um, and that's because they're very efficient to encode and decode. Um, they are typed to like the code, like the code that accesses them is auto-generated based on a schema. Um, so it makes programming, uh, easier, even though it makes it harder for people to jump on board. Uh, but once you have the tooling for it, it's easy. Um, and yeah, I would say that's, those are the benefits of it, um, Along with a lot of that tooling, it, like there's a lot of unknowns, unless you know about them, of like, what happens if data will not match exactly. Does that crash? Does that error? Mm-hmm. Who knows what it's going to do? So uh, do always keep that in mind whenever you're using these like, pre-built libraries. But because it is a stable format, you could ostensibly write your own for- like reader or writer or serializer for uh, protocol buffers. Uh, another super common one is a format called atoms, um, and these are used in media files. So if you've ever uh, wanted to know what a video file looks like, it is composed of atoms, and atoms are very straightforward. It's uh, a four-letter uh, like keyword for a specific atom, and oftentimes these are in ASCII, so you can actually see them. Uh, and then it's followed by some amount of bytes that describe how long the rest of it is. Um, and there are a few different atoms with a few different flavors. So you might hit an atom uh, that you don't know what to do with, but you know that, hey, if you read ahead, X bytes because it tells you X right afterwards, then you can skip that atom and go to the next one and so on and so forth. So uh, atoms are a very compact way of representing structured data um, in a way that you can extend it over time, which is why they're used for media formats because you might have a new encoder that comes out like h.267 um and h.267 is not known but the same audio is being used so you might be able to open that file on an older computer and still hear the audio but not see the video um that could be like an outcome of uh doing that or i might just say can't read this so that's oftentimes what happens uh even though that's probably was not the original intent of that format but uh they are reasonably easy to kind of wrap your head around especially because they're well documented so that's probably the the theme of binary formats is document them because they are not going to help uh if you don't have any sort of documentation as far as how to read data out of them because they are Uh as compact as possibly can be right
1: so i guess it's it's um It's, uh, sorry, I'm not, it's sort of like for the sake of efficiency that you would do it in, in like a binary Mm -hmm. format, like take out the human readable part and just compress the like the crap out of it just so that you can get it as small as possible while maintaining all the information you need.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. Essentially. Uh, there are some very practical things that you can do with binary formats. Uh, you can use the same memory model that your system uses. To directly archive things like structs into data, Um, and what this means is you can memory map that file back to memory and just cast the first thing you see as a struct. And programming-wise, like you're you're in for the home stretch there. You have a pointer to data uh, that Mm -hmm. represents like directly manipulatable data for your app. So there's no load time there in fact there's zero load time you just basically said hey make this make this data available to be read uh and written Mm -hmm. like if you write to that memory map then it writes back to the file um so that is something that you could also do with binary data that you can't really do uh elsewise and that's probably why they were used uh so much early on is because Mm -hmm. like that's once again, think of the stupidest way you can serialize data, uh, and if you can just take the memory that you're working with and put that in a file, that's quite literally even stupider than JSON. Um, <laughs> so uh, that that is an option that's that's available to you if you really want to do it. Um, yeah, and if you if uh, a little a little shout out uh, if you do want to use if you do want to read and write binary formats and serialize stuff yourself. Oftentimes you might need to do this to wrap some sort of data together. Um, there's all sorts of reasons why you might want to consider it. Uh, I have a library called bytes, uh, which makes it easy to read, uh, binary data in, in Swift and manipulate it in Swift. Basically just a, an array of uint eights at this point, uh, because that's what a byte is. Um, but it has a bunch of helpers for like parsing strings out of that or parsing numbers. Um, One thing I want to shout out if you are like inventing your own thing, always use Big Endian uh, variations of numbers. Uh, Numbers, it turns out, are super complicated. Take this English sentence, for instance. Uh, I love the number 17. You are reading this left to right, right? so you're accumulating information uh, as you go along, except as, as soon as you hit that number, you are now flipping your mental model of it and you're reading the least are the most significant byte first, the one, and then get less significant with the seven. So if you have a large number, 1,752,512. The 12 part is really insignificant in the grand scheme of that number, right? But the 1 million part is very significant. But you reach that significant part first rather than last. Right. Um, So that's what's called Big Endian because you have the big end uh, up first. Uh, Little Endian is you have the the little end up first so you start with the least significant and you build up to the most significant um and it turns out that's a completely valid way of working with numbers uh it's just not the same on every computer so and especially it's not the same to us humans like when we think of a number programming like whatever you type in code it gets turned from big indian what you typed to little indian in the compiled version because that's what is more practical for that type of computer uh, so for that reason, uh, it is encouraged to serialize in big endian because that's like what we think of. Uh, if you look at an XML readout of a number, that's always big endian. Like the little ends are always on the right side, um, and like we're just naturally used to that. So right. uh, do make sure that if you're storing any data in binary, always save it with the big endian uh, like order for numbers. Um, this only matters when you have more than like a single byte. Uh, like if you have two bytes or four bytes for a number Uh, one byte obviously is just that order i think all bits are automatically translated like it's not it's not a concern um but yeah something to keep in mind as you're like communicating between computers or just saving stuff in general because the next computer that might come out you want to know if it was in big indian or little indian otherwise your number can flip (laughs) drastically uh in terms of like size right yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my only, like, pointer for binary stuff. Uh, and, yeah, if you want to use it in Swift, check out Bytes. Helps. Nice. Any other storage formats that you can think
1: of? Not really. I mean, you've got, like, like you mentioned MongoDB, and I mentioned Postgres, and there were kind of, like, other um, things adjacent to, like, SQLite, MySQL, all that stuff, no sequel, but... Um, I'd say that in general, they're more or less the same. If you want to learn about them, there are of course differences, but, uh, more or less it's just kind of this, like Dimitri said, n- relational data. Well, not no SQL, but in general, it's a, no, it's like a relational database and it, it just kind of is, is built specifically for efficiency. So, um, yeah.
0: And because database writers wanted to use JSON in some way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, as you said, it's, it's a difference in mentality versus thinking about a table of data. Um, that's where SQL databases come from. Uh, and NoSQL is instead of a table of data, you have an object graph. Um, yeah. And that's what Core Data is trying to do. So Core Data is trying to turn your object graph in memory into a table of data uh, on disk um, and there are efficiencies of thinking of things in, as tables of data, so that's why like we do it. If you have a dictionary, like an actual dictionary app where you look up a word, uh, there are hundreds of thousands of words, so you want one entry per word, right? Yeah. That's generally what you want, um, versus if you have a family tree, a family tree, you could think of it as a table of people, but that's not really what it is, right? It's a tree of people um so there are different ways that you might want to organize that um it all comes down to serializing it as a list at the end of the day like memory is a list of things um and there are efficient ways of doing that and that's why you take computer science classes uh but if you all you're interested in building an app then you can generally pick from the above and probably be fine i would say for your entire yeah. career yeah this week's episode from code completion is <laughs> This week's episode of Code Completion is once again brought to you by Super Easy Timer. Super Easy Timer is a quick and easy way to use a timer app for your Mac. Uh, it's completely text-based, so you can type in English what you want in 20 minutes or 5 p.m., hit Enter, and instantly start a timer. The timer understands English, text, to create, update, and start a new timer. You can quickly change an active countdown, even while still counting down. There are simple keyboard shortcuts to reset or pause. No menus, no sliders. Just use English to control your timer. We want to thank Super Easy Timer for sponsoring our show. Search for Super Easy Timer on the Mac App Store today to give it a try. So, uh, it's been a while since we had a last uh, mini-review corner, Um, and we've actually talked about this one slightly Mm -hmm. in the past, um, but you finally got a chance to install something. Want to let us in on it?
1: Yeah, so, Dimitri, back in his um, mini-review corner, I think his Logitech circle camera um i mentioned i I whipped out this doorbell that i've had this logitech circle view doorbell that i've had sitting uh in my house unopened since december um and i was like you know what i'm gonna put it up so that's what i did this weekend um it it was a whole thing because the doorbell in my house is like digital and the voltage was too high and so it wouldn't actually power my Doorbell correctly, so I had to run to Home Depot get an old school chime, like physical doorbell chime with a separate transformer. Got that done anyway. Whole thing is to say it works great. I I sent a, a Slack message out to the group and I was like, "This is awesome! I have home kids secure video. I see when people deliver things on my front door from Amazon and it records and stuff. And it's great." And then sunset comes around. <laughs> And I'm in Utah, so it's like it was like 95 degrees yesterday. And the stupid thing goes offline. I get a notification and I go into the HomeKit app and it gives this wonderful message. Let me pull it up. It says, uh, this camera needs to cool down before it can be used. And I was like, oh crap, what have I done, man? Just need to throw water cooling on it. Yeah. Water cooling means
0: spraying it down
1: with a hose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Um... So, and I start looking at, re- okay, so, like, the thing is, I got this in December, right? And it, it, there are not many doorbells for HomeKit, and so my options are limited now, but I think they were very limited back then, and there was a lot of hype building up to this one specifically, because it was, like, promised to be, like, the first HomeKit secure video uh, camera uh, and everything, as far as I knew. Mm-hmm. So, I got it in December, my parents got it for me for Christmas, and I... um just barely been installing it, so like way past a return period. Um, but yeah, the whole thing is like you go online and on Reddit and stuff, and it's just like everyone's is, is overheating. So it's not this like. Uh, uh, it, it's a very common thing. It's it's not like it's made specific. for cooler climates. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, if I lived in Seattle or something, that'd be good. But uh, I don't. So, <laughs> so anyway. Um, I think it's just a a matter of, you know, it thinking it's overheating by when the sun's like directly on it. I, you know, I've got a little awning and stuff, so it's not, it doesn't happen during the day, but as soon as the sun actually hits it directly, it's overheating. So, um, there are a couple options. There's people make like 3d printed brackets that you can kind of screw around that, you know, cover like the top and maybe the side where the sun comes in to block some of the sun and stuff. I don't have the right plastic to print that, um, for it, kind of a good weather, um, resistant plastic. Um, so what I opted to do was go to my parents' house cause my mom has one of those cricket, uh, vinyl cutter things. And I, I put in, I put in, uh, a white, I made a white vinyl sticker for my doorbell. <laughs> um, which is like, i mean this is yesterday that i installed it and also yesterday that it started overheating so i have one day of experience with this thing so uh time will tell uh this afternoon this evening when the sun sets if my doorbell overheats again or if i need to get a 3d printed bracket or something because like i don't want to return or i don't think i can return the thing it's like a Mm -hmm. you know i I want the home kit secure video so my options are limited at the moment so might just have to limp along with this thing. Uh, Work within your constraints, dying. right? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love doing that. Uh, is, is it only going to get app- better
0: during the winter as the sun like goes down and then hits it more often?
1: Maybe, but like I think the overall temperature, ambient temperature, is going to probably help with that. I mean, we're like kind of in the dead of summer, so maybe it's like this uh, targeted issue where it only happens for like three or four months out of the year. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, I mean, it's snowing for almost half the year here, so hopefully it works, but, um, my, my initial initial experience was like, this is great. I love this. And then my, uh, 24 hour experience is like, oh crap, I've definitely got the wrong thing. So time will tell on, uh, the longevity of how long I keep this thing around. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I, th- I think I'll probably work a lot better with some white. Uh, reflective uh, covering on it because I don't know why black was chosen it's the hip choice I guess um, and probably doesn't yellow in the Sun um, yeah. but yeah it, it's it's gonna get hot as a result of it being black I was gonna suggest oh you can yeah. probably put foil too and that would like reflect even more heat mm-hmm. but it would also reflect all the Wi-Fi so uh, that would probably not work <laughs> too well yeah. for your use um, though I would imagine it the Wi-Fi is probably like on the back of it to Beam into the house as much as possible, rather than like radially from the doorbell. Probably,
1: it's worth I just have this shiny foil. <laughs> um, I mean, it's like look the into my the camera. Is... I can. It's blinding. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> the side of my house is gray, and so like it was not. It looked really nice with just this black doorbell right there. But now it's like this just big white spot on the on my wall, and I can't even imagine how much worse it would be if it, I just stick like aluminum foil. On it. <laughs>
0: And it's not even like perfectly straight. It's all crinkled and stuff because it's like
1: impossible to keep it perfectly polished. (laughs) Oh, man. So time will tell. I I don't know. I'm cautiously optimistic about this thing because, I I mean, someone took the time to make the the cricket file and throw it on Reddit for other people. It's like this this, uh, far-reaching issue. So I just hope that it helps in the place that I live. Mm -hmm. We'll see.
0: Yeah, I I have a a few of those circle view cameras now to the point where like on HomeKit, I get the little the little um, the new organization on iOS 16 um, where Mm. you can like see multiple cameras at once. So that's that's definitely neat. Um, And the little ones have not overheated so far in the direct of like sun vision um, because we have one that I mounted on top of our garage to kind of see. Uh, the road traffic as we pull out because you can't see it from the foot level. Um, And that one is like pointing at the sun all day, like from morning to night. Uh, And our doorbell would ostensibly do the same thing because it's like facing the same direction. Um, So I was joking like with winter, it might be worse because then the sun is lower and therefore always hitting it versus the ambient temperature being down and the direct sun temperature warming up the nice little black uh case yeah that's a good point um but now that you covered it w- with something white that will probably uh work a lot better so when it comes time to me finally like being willing to punch a hole through the wall to put it- the transformer and everything uh and getting one i might ask you to make a nice little white cutout <laughs> sticker to put on it um, yeah yeah the outside of our house is white so that would be perfect it would just blend oh. in <laughs> uh,
1: okay 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 you, you thought ahead, obviously, for this specific targeted yeah, problem. Yeah,
0: I bought the, the house that was white because I knew the doorbell would not work.
1: <laughs> Darn you, Logitech!
0: So, gotta throw logic at it, right?
1: Yeah. So, okay, so you said your your cameras aren't overheating, though?
0: I don't think so. I mean, I can yeah. check
1: right now. Like, you never get, like, the notification that it says, like, it went offline or anything? No. In the middle of the day. Wow. That would be nice. No. Oh.
0: Works fine and you can hear the wind. Nice. Well. That yeah. Slow rumble. <laughs> so See, yeah, some, something to
1: I, look forward to, I guess for yeah, myself. <laughs> Spencer Spencer is again the big sad right now. <laughs> it sucks, dude. I was well, you'll so Well, you find stoked. out today,
0: right? If it works. Yeah.
1: Out. Yeah, it's supposed to be like stupid hot today. Oh, well, 93 throughout the week it's supposed to get to like 96
0: that still counts as stupid hot you can anything above 90 counts as stupid hot uh and then over 100 is stupid stupid hot and over 110 is uh yeah this is a place we live in now
1: yeah i um i've only been to las vegas a few times like stayed in las vegas instead of passing through to like go to california or something but there was one time it was like at least 110 i want to say it was 114 but i could be it was like when i was i don't know 15 or something but when the wind is hot that's when it's like no dude (laughs) you can't even get any solace from the wind Mm -hmm. uh that's the absolute worst
0: and i think the even worse than that is going from the air condition to the hot the hot air literally crisps your lungs and that is something that you might not have ever experienced from more humid climates uh where it's just miserable and sticky mm-hmm. it's not painful uh and 110 degree weather like entering into your lungs is painful your your <laughs> your uh your throat closes up on you and says no I do not want this please <laughs> uh please please revert back but it closed up on you so you can't breathe anymore and therefore you may not be able to go back um so it's it's just it's like a new level of of uh uh discomfort that i don't think a lot of people uh truly appreciate until they feel it um so yeah dry heat no fun
1: yeah so well, uh, we'll uh, I'll update you next week on um, <laughs> on my doorbell adventure, though.
0: Definitely. I- I'm looking forward to hearing it be successful, because
1: that's do. that would be like, it's the only one. <laughs> Someone else, just, I, and it's, it's like Logitech, it's like not some random brand either. Mm-hmm. Like, it's surprising that they just like crapped the bed in here and just made a super bad product and... There's like warnings I think on Apple's website even t- like about the like temperature issues and stuff like it's that. You think they would have of printed offended. a white
0: case by now, right? Yeah. I like guess. that would have been the obvious solution. It's like, "Hey, black, like if you really want to and your front door is facing the the north or something, uh and therefore you do not get the sun uh, like hitting on it, then that would be excellent. But if you're south facing, like pick this white one. Uh it reflects a little more." Yeah. So as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who's at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunil. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. So, before we let everyone go, I want to tell us a, a story of sad of my own. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. So, uh, this past, like, I am slowly... Uh, let me preface this. I am slowly getting this office uh, ready to have a mini-split AC put in, uh, so that way we don't need to run the whole house AC uh, just yeah. for this office, which is basically the only room in the house that becomes truly unbearable when it's over 90 outside. Um, because, one, the afternoon sun hits right this wall right here, uh, and therefore it like heats up tremendously. And, two, all the computer equipment that runs basically 24 7 is in this room yeah uh and therefore that heats up the room uh quite significantly so i wanted to put a mini split in here just so that way we can keep this room like at a reasonable uh below 90 temperature um like indoor 90 is not fun uh as much Ooh. as outdoor 90 has like sun uh not sun but like winds to help cool you down a little bit this one just has fans um so i really wanted to put a mini split so i purchased one uh, it's gonna be available for me to pick up in ten days uh, ish. Uh, so we've been doing the work to get the um, get the get everything set up for that. So that includes bringing over two forty volts to the side of the house. So it's coming all the mm. way from the other side. So need to put conduit on the roof and everything. Um, and one of the things that you do when you put conduit on the roof is you want to raise the conduit so it doesn't stop the water and cause it to pull. Oh. Um, so Uh, As you can imagine, working in 90-degree weather uh, on a roof, uh, it gets hot. So we were trying to limit our working to either in the late evenings or the early mornings. Uh, So we did all this work, um, and the only thing left was to uh, lift up the conduit with little pieces of wood that we cut uh, and to glue the wood with tar to the roof so that way it wouldn't move over time. Um, now we already, like, installed the pieces of wood and, like, screwed the conduit to it. The only thing left was to squeeze some tar and, like, glue it onto the roof. So, um, I waited for a morning to do this. Um, and on that morning I was working and I had a brief moment where, like, I didn't have any meetings. Uh, and so therefore I could go climb up on the roof, uh, and go do this. So, Meanwhile, I've been sitting in my living room because it's nice and fresh, big open space there (laughs) um, on the cooler end of the house. uh, And I've just been using my uh, M1 Max Mac, the MMM, uh, Mm -hmm. the Mac. Um, So I've been using that, uh, just sitting in the living room, nice and comfy with fans blowing on me, like chill. Uh, And I've been doing that for a few weeks at this point um and therefore i'm like okay have a moment let me go uh put some shoes on climb up on the roof and do this so left my laptop on the table there uh climbed up onto the roof glued everything climbed back down uh and noticed immediately something was very off about uh my laptop and the thing that was off was it was very bright in one corner of it in the top right corner specifically um and The rest of it would not seemingly not respond, Uh, and upon looking closer at the little bright spot, uh, I noticed um, there was some like teeth marks. And I don't know if you can see this uh, here without too many reflections. Uh, But my cat turns out uh, had a very fun time chomping on uh, the monitor screen and punctured through the screen uh, to the metal, uh, mind you. Like there was a little bend. (laughs) the metal on the other side um and i completely destroyed the screen so uh there are some fun observations for this uh one uh i noticed the backlight still worked um so that was cool um and you can see like i have that that new screensaver where you have all the little like uh like directional vectors kind of flowing in different colors Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've seen that one you can Tell that screensaver was on because the backlight would do that pattern. Okay, uh, even though the whole screen was black. Um, so that was that was neat. Um, so that that still was was working totally fine. Um, I was still able to VNC into the machine to like get stuff off of it. So that was totally fine. Um, and I want to absolutely remind uh myself that I am exceedingly privileged and that I have many other computers uh to be able to do work on. So I was not disturbed in uh, the slightest of not having my computer for an extended period of time, despite me, uh, like, owning the agent of chaos that broke it. Um, and <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it was unfortunate, and it is something that I did, did fully expect to need to pay for. It's not, like, accidental. I'm not going to go to Apple and say, your computer spontaneously shattered on me. Um, Like I own up that my cat ate the computer and it's a funny story because you can say, (laughs) well, you know, that (laughs) that story where the the dog ate the homework. Well, in in my case, my cat like destroyed my computer. Um, So I I had a fun time sharing pictures with that people at work and stuff. Um, And uh, yeah, that is something that happened. So it thankfully happened a week ago. um, And therefore I've had the chance to go through the whole cycle of of uh, fixing it. Uh, So I was able to take this computer to the Apple Store, um, and I I did my whole, like, uh, practiced uh, explanation of how this Uh happened. Because you need (laughs) need to entertain the genius at this point. Um, It's a funny story, (laughs) and it's, it's silly. And he says, you know what? My cat did the exact same thing, but it was with the older MacBook Pro. And because that one had more... Uh, bezels around the oh, screen, yeah. and therefore not an edge-to-edge screen. It survived to t- like tell the story another day. Um, so uh, they they were like completely on board with the craziness that happened, uh, and awesome. thankfully uh, I had Apple Care Plus, which um, oh. I think is just the default now um, because I didn't really like notice choosing that over the regular one. Um, but that means that any screen damage, accidental or purposeful, by Agent of Chaos, otherwise, um, is completely covered in that one hundred dollar uh, deductible, whatever you want to call it. Uh-huh. Um, so it's really nice that warranty meets insurance uh, nowadays with <laughs> Apple uh-huh. Care Plus. Uh, because that saved me roughly nine hundred dollars of screen replacement. Um, so you so,
1: you only had to pay a hundred dollars. That's it.
0: Yeah, I only had to pay a hundred dollars. Nice. That's yes. great. So uh, I brought the, brought the laptop to the Apple store, uh, dropped it off. I didn't need to pay anything until picking it up. They asked if I wanted to have it shipped to me or pick up in the store. Uh, and they told me it would be shipped via uh, FedEx or UPS. I asked if I can choose and they said no. Uh, and therefore, I immediately said to the store, please, because FedEx is super flaky um and although they deliver horses or something and they're like great in that regard they suck at delivering stuff consistently to my house on time Wait, Uh, wait, hold on
1: no they're they're good at delivering stuff they may just like drop kick it in the process that's the only thing
0: no, sometimes they don't, and they just keep say, oh, it's been sent back to our warehouse, and you're never going to see your computer again. <laughs> um, so, like, I don't want that to happen to my work computer, that, yes, it could go poof, and I have backups of it, but no, I don't want to restore from backup. That's, like, four terabytes of misery. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I opted, like, let the Apple Store be responsible for this. Um, I will come pick it up. Uh, and I went to pick it up, and they brought it out brand new, um, oh. or like new. Um, and it had a new screen and a new, like, screen cable, which they damaged in the process, I guess. Um, like, if you're just gonna replace the cable, just say replace the cable. Don't say it's damaged. I didn't damage the cable. Like, come on. It's, uh, like, been very careful, carefully cared for other than being left on a table with Agent of Chaos, um, named Keaton uh so okay
1: (laughs) that was my next question was which agent of chaos is it oh they are both
0: agents of chaos but this this one uh likes rubbing her face and biting on things um Mm. and thankfully most things are thick enough where she can't really get a good a good chomp on it uh but yeah it's times like these i'm reminded that cats are predators and they have Uh the chomp uh (laughs) that is fully capable of like doing absolute damage to not only uh computers but like flesh and stuff like that flesh. and when they give you little nibbles they are really giving you nibbles they are holding back because they don't need to hold back they did not hold back on that laptop screen i can tell you that much <laughs> that is some hard piece of metal and glass and they chomped right through it so yeah yeah, yeah if it's denting the metal that's pretty crazy <laughs> she's sharpening her murder fangs um so yeah, like your pets, both dogs and cats, like you wrestle with them, you have your hand in their mouth and they are not, they are consciously not chomping on you because yeah. guess what? Those chompers are made to like tear off meat off a bone and I don't know about you, but tearing meat off of raw bone is not easy, Uh especially when you're like prepping it. Like sure, if you cook it for seven hours, it sure, falls yeah, right yeah. back off, but like we've all experienced some, some uh, occasion where it was not nearly as simple uh so yeah they they are equipped with that that hardware uh and they will use it on your computer if left open so uh keep in mind if you also have agents of chaos living with you uh do not leave your very 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 expensive laptop screen just open next to it, especially if that's your like only uh way of yeah. doing work because uh that took a week uh they said i brought it in on a monday um, and they said this is not going to be ready until Saturday, which basically means you won't be able to pick it up until Monday because there's no deliveries on Saturday. Thankfully, mm-hmm. it was available on Friday, so I got to pick it up two days ago uh, as of this recording. Um, and, yeah, I now have my laptop back, which uh, I am very happy for. So
1: You were the big sad, now you are the big lad. Yep. Very nice. Very nice.
0: So, yeah, that's uh, that's my my lesson to myself. Um, uh, so I don't know how much everyone knows about my like current cat problems, but we have like uh, some uh, bladder loose cats around the house. So therefore, we've like gone very good at not leaving anything out um, and putting everything away. And this office like the chaos that is in it uh, remains closed um, to them because uh, they might just leak pee all over anything um and i thought five minutes was a safe amount of time for me to go up on a roof but i have yet been yet again been reminded uh not to leave anything out um so yeah yeah that's all i got um as far as titles uh which one do we want to go for let's see took the 90s by storm and continues to curse us always good (laughs) Even that stupider than JSON, I think, is a winner. That's pretty good. In that's, my mind.
1: It's, it's going to be controversial. Calling JSON stupid. It is beloved.
0: Yeah, but binary is stupider than JSON. Or no, not yeah. binary per se, but uh, directly serializing yeah. to memory. Like, that's that's pretty stupid nowadays. Like, don't do that. Uh, even if you're thinking about it, it's like, oh, that, sh- that sounds so cool. That's how memory exploits get made. Um, yeah. yeah like all all that wonderful ocarina time from your childhood uh being hacked in real time by a person with very fast thumbs yeah, yeah. that's 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 the, this problem basically uh do Little, not just like load stuff in, up into memory
1: bad idea yeah good old arbitrary code execution baby it's like it's so funny because like we were talking about that in the context of an app and i'm like oh yeah that's awful but then i started thinking about like speed like ocarina of time speed running i was like it's so cool though yeah <laughs> no it totally so. is. there's a new exploit for breath of the wild i just saw i where, saw that it's crazy where it's like
0: you just hold stuff in your inventory and then like switch save files 17 times and spin around and do uh like Drop high fives with stuff. your neighbor uh and yeah. then all of a sudden you have infinite something. Um yeah. and it's just like yeah there's there's definitely some uh inkling like we're inching towards arbitrary code execution by doing this uh little mm-hmm. by little by manipulating data in this way. Um and you can definitely feel it, right? It's it's very yeah. much the reverse bottle adventure uh uh-huh. for Ocarina of Time where it's like you hold a bottle and then now you have uh, inventory items that you didn't have before is because you're sliding yeah. around a, pe- a
1: memory pointer and it's <laughs> potentially going too far, who knows <laughs> yeah, it's interesting though, like I wonder, okay so like uh, we, we've we talked about this a bunch with Ocarina of Time but it was, like, it was like a launch game, it was like a new language they didn't really know what they were doing and stuff but like I wonder though like would all of these things have happened in Breath of the Wild if they wrote it now? It's like I don't know what language they're using, but like at the very least, they know a lot more about the engine and stuff. So, be interesting. Like, it was. It I just feel like they know thing? less
0: about the engine. The engine has become more magical, in the way, mm. like by like throwing physics at it. It's like, well, the math does stuff. We don't really know what it's going <laughs> to do in various situations, but the math does stuff. Like it, that feels more something. magical, right? That, so, that's fair. Like, I feel like these kinds of exploits, like, it's just a matter of time before they are found for Breath of the Wild. It's not like Mm -hmm. Nintendo is trying to prevent their games from being exploitable. Um, Yeah. Like, it's not a kernel, right? It's something meant to let people have fun, and you need to make sure that the game does not break. That's the number one thing. So anything that does not completely break the game via, like, intentional progression through it, that's probably all they care about. Uh, Anything, like completely obtuse like uh like loading a save file three times and then like spinning in a circle and then holding things and then unloading link's model and then like going (laughs) through that whole sequence of events like not Uh, everyone's gonna do that no and if someone does do it they're gonna think it's funny because it's like something so obtuse that they were trying and it's like hey look uh link is a bald head just floating there um and that's just something that like happens over time and yeah. yeah, it's cool.
1: It is cool. It's cool to see. I mean, like Ocarina of Time, how old is it now? Like 25 years or something? Mm-hmm. Uh, still going strong because of all of the... I don't know if people would be speed running it if there weren't, you know, all of these glitches to take advantage of because then it would be like a 10-hour game or something.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. kind of cool. I, I often wonder if like games nowadays have a chance of reaching that. Because back then, that was like there's only so many games, right? And -hmm. nowadays, like basically anyone can put effort into making a game, but then it has a much lesser chance of becoming popular as a result of there being so many. Uh, And therefore, like tons of games may just never be remembered as a result of that, right? And that's a little sad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's the exact same thing.
0: Like, I don't think we're going to see emulation for uh, iPhone OS 2 apps
1: because there's just, <laughs> yeah, like, bro. no
0: one has the apps anymore, right? Uh, yeah. It's not like it's a question of recompiling them. It's just, well, there was one one place to get them, and that that place has slowly uh, killed them off <laughs> as they as they came and went. So it's not like we can emulate uh, early apps of, like, early iOS. Um, and that's yeah. a little sad, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, agreed. Anyways, Toodles. All right, bye.